anybody is capable of doing some pretty awesome and amazing things and it has nothing to do with physical ability has nothing to do with arms or legs and it has everything to do with that six inches of space between the ears you know, the brain the mind is the strongest muscle we have in our bodies but it's also the biggest obstacle we have in our lives this week's guest is chris cook who joins us from canada he is a motivational speaker he's done multiple ted talks and he's also run 11 marathons to date as well. But the thing about Chris is that he was born a double amputee. And whilst others may see his physical disability as a barrier, Chris has seen it as an opportunity. And he joins us today on the Burn Chef Journal to talk about his business, if I can, which aims to encourage others to be able to push their boundaries and to achieve great things in their life. Chris is an amazing speaker with so many key takeaways from today, and I was very lucky to be joined by our new co-host, Jim Taylor, who is one of our ambassadors from Canada. I'm sure you'll welcome him on board as he's going to be looking at introducing and interviewing a whole range of guests and inspirational speakers that he's interested in and that are specifically relatable to the hospitality sector. So without further ado, let's crack on with this week's episode and we are so glad to be back. The Burnt Chef Project is proudly sponsored by Lamb Weston, a leading provider of innovative, high-quality potato products created for chefs to help operators thrive both today and tomorrow. Working carefully with sustainably-minded farmers and growers, Lamb Weston provides potato solutions for every type of kitchen, from premium British chips and fries to potato shapes, wedges, and mash. To find out more, head to lambweston.eu or search your partner in potatoes. Well, first and foremost, I wanted to thank two guests on this podcast today. So one is our new co-presenter, who is also one of our ambassadors from Canada, Jim, who joins me. Jim, if you could just give yourself a quick introduction, please. Yeah. Good morning or afternoon, I guess, depending where, you, where you're at. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to doing some good hosting and discussion here, Chris. So my name is Jim Taylor. I'm a pretty much lifelong restaurant guy from Western Canada, I've been in the industry for, I don't know, 25 years or something like that and did a bunch of stuff with it when I was growing up too. So pretty excited about the opportunity to be just a part of the Burnt Chef Project. I think a lot of the work that my business does, which we don't have to talk about, is related to employee experience and mental health and that type of thing and, and making sure that the the experience for people working in restaurants just continues to improve over time. So the Burnt Chef Project mission is pretty near and dear to what we do as well. So Happy to have the opportunity here. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. Thank you very much for joining us. And we're looking forward to hearing some of your guests over over the next few months, really. Definitely it's expanding our message and expanding our, our conversational points as well. So the reason why we're here today that we're converging on a, well, for you guys, early o'clock in the morning, but uh, for, for me, late in the afternoon over here in the UK is is our guest, Chris Kosh, is here to join us. So hi, Chris. Welcome to the Burnt Chef Journal. Well, I guess good afternoon for you. Good morning here. And I guess I eat at a lot of restaurants, so that'll be my connection. <laughs> I love it. Love it. That's really what started me off in this game. It was just the fact that actually I was love being surrounded by food and drink and, yeah, good times as well. So uh, it sometimes bites us, hey? Where do we begin? I mean, ultimately... You are a man with so many incredible talents, inspirational speaker, TED Talker. You have transformed the lives of many people as well and, and, and given them the, the confidence and ability to achieve their goals, really. I, I don't honestly know where to begin. I've got so many questions. But if you could just introduce yourself to our guests, really, in a way that perhaps isn't me absolutely fangirling at this moment in time. <laughs> My name is Chris Cook. I'm from Western Canada, Southern Alberta is where I grew up, a little farming and ranching community called Nanton, which is about an hour south of Calgary. I'm a motivational speaker. I get paid to travel around the world and tell stories. And I guess what makes my story unique is I was born missing arms and legs. I, I mean, on camera, you can see that I'm missing arms, but for those who are 
driving to work or, or listening while they're at work or whatever. To give you a visual, both arms I'm missing kind of at about elbow length. And then as far as legs are concerned, both legs are missing. The left side is basically right off at the at the hip and the right side goes down to about the knee. There's a partially developed leg with a partially developed foot. And I can hop around on that one leg, but I primarily use a, a long board or a skateboard to get around. So I sit on the board and then use that right leg to propel myself forward. And I guess growing up in a small farming and ranching community, I spent a lot of time helping out at my grandpa's farm and I still do some farming when I have time in between doing presentations. So that's the smallest nutshell I could put it all into. Yeah, beautifully said as well. It's not not the first time, obviously, that you've had to explain that on the podcast as well, hey? Yeah, I've done a lot of podcasts, a lot of radio interviews. And yeah, so they asked. And I, I worked in broadcasting. So I had a little bit of background in, in TV and radio. You still work in broadcasting currently as well as, as traveling the world? Or as I had to take a bit of a backseat? I first went to Mount Royal College in Calgary and took broadcasting and I didn't know if I would absolutely love it and I did a few other things and now here I am traveling around and telling stories for a living. That's amazing. That is so cool. And I guess really like I mean from having that experience with the broadcasting side of things as well it just helps. I mean was there any media training involved with that? Yeah, for sure. I guess you learn how to speak properly, <laughs> articulate, enunciate, all that kind of stuff. I've got the broadcasting voice and the face made for radio. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I mean, do you know what? I would even say that I perhaps have a better face than I do a voice for podcasting, how people tune in on a weekly basis and listen to this. I, <laughs> I applaud all of you, all of you massively. <laughs> I'm curious about a little bit here. I mean, Chris, right before you jumped on here, Chris Cook and I were talking about that we're actually, we actually grew up about an hour apart from each other. You know, I know the town that he's from quite well. So there was some instant sort of relatability there, I think, for Chris and I. But I'm curious, who's the first group that you decided to tell some of your story to? I mean, I'm sure you got asked lots of questions, but how did you sort of get rolling on getting people, for lack of a better term, getting them motivated and, and moving? Yeah, I guess the speaking presentation end of things. I mean, growing up in, in Southern Alberta and the agriculture community, got involved in 4-H and learned how to be a good speaker doing that as well. But I was very involved with the War Amps program in Canada. They have a child amputee or CHAMP program for kids across Canada who were born or have lost a limb or limbs. So I did a lot of stuff as an ambassador and did a lot of interviews and presentations with them. And then, you know, in doing that, I was asked to speak at local schools and local community events, rotary clubs, fundraisers, and and that kind of stuff. So it all kind of just happened organically. And then I wanted to do a lot more traveling and to do this job is a great way or a great excuse to, to travel. You travel to get to where you're speaking at and you travel to have more to speak about. And it all kind of came together perfectly. I decided one winter I was going to take the big trip that I'd always wanted to take. And that was taken off for, for three months and backpacking through Europe. I started in London, you know, so obviously England, France, Germany, Switzerland, Austria, I think were the countries I covered on that trip. Uh, it was almost like the universe and all the signs were saying, all right, you need to be a get into this motivational speaking thing because it was literally a couple of weeks after I booked my flights for this trip that a friend of mine who was organizing organizing a conference for the government financiers of Alberta. She was looking for a speaker who had a good story and a good sense of humor. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. When the conference happens is shortly after I'll be getting home from this trip. So the, the timing was perfect. Yeah, the government financiers of Alberta was my first paid corporate gig. It's just kind of taken off from there. Wow, amazing serendipity kicking in there again i was chatting to yeah. yeah i was chatting to a friend of mine in fact just before this call we were chatting to an incredible speaker who talks about the topic of suicide and tries to get people to open up to it and she was also saying about spirituality and serendipity playing a massive part and like sometimes your head is completely and utterly turned 
you've got no choice. You have to seize it, don't you? You have to take that chance, right? No, absolutely. And that's why I tell people, I mean, yes, it's it's great to have goals and try to achieve those goals, but to try not to get so hyper-focused on a very specific goal to be able to have your peripheral vision on. Because, I mean, I thought I, thought I wanted to go and, and be a broadcaster and a sportscaster specifically. If I would have been so hyper-focused on that, I wouldn't have seen these opportunities. And I, I never thought in a million years that I would be doing this coming out of high school. And I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. I've traveled to some amazing places. I've met some incredible people. Some of the people that I've had the opportunity to chat with after presentations and hearing how my story has impacted them, I wouldn't trade that for anything. Do you still tell stories about that first big backpacking trip and in some of your speaking engagements? Yeah, absolutely. That trip and and subsequent trips that I've taken since then. I did another six weeks traveling around Southeast Asia with a good friend of mine. So there's there's stories from that first trip. And I mean, that first trip that I took was a big one because it was just erasing all the preconceived notions and stories and whatnot that I told myself it might not be the best idea for gal with arms and legs to be you know backpacking through Europe without a plan or without somebody traveling with them. And there's a actually a lady from Vancouver, well just outside of Vancouver. You know, she's seen some of my travels and decided to head to Ireland here, I think it was about a month ago, and travel over there by herself. And it's like, you know, if, if Chris is able to pull this off, I'm pretty sure I can pull it off too. So but yeah, just getting out of your own way and instead of talking and dreaming and thinking about those things that you've always wanted to do, just doing it. And you know, it was it was then that I you know, I never really was afraid to do things before that, but it just opened up a whole new world and became even more of a jump on the net will appear type of person. Wow. One thing that I always struggle with when I talk to people about doing things. So to give you an example, over here six weeks ago, I went on a, a stag do, brother-in-law stag do, and they had laser tag. And I enjoyed it that much that afterwards, we were all sat around with a bunch of us having a beer. And I said, I'm going to buy a laser tag business. And they were like, what? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I said, I enjoyed that so much. I'm going to do it. And I crunched some figures very quickly on a napkin on the back, back of a table. And I went, yeah, no, I'm going to do it. And they were like, well, have you got the money? And I said, no. I said, have you got the land? I went, no. So I'm going to bloody do it. And I saw them again last week. It was my sister's wedding. And they said to me, well, have you done it? Or are you being really big balls? Were you just talking about it? I said, no, I've done it. I found the land. I've secured the, I've secured the investment. I'm going to do it. And the thing that I was trying to explain to them that evening, and they was like, well, how do you go from going to having an idea and then to putting that idea into fruition and having that net, as you so speak about, how do you try and eloquently describe that to someone? That feeling of, I don't know, that feeling of, I can do this. I can achieve this without having any way of getting from point A to point B, but going for it anyway. How do you get that across to someone? It's difficult in all cases. It's difficult to articulate that. And I think in some cases, you don't need to say anything more than it's just something that I had to do for me. That trip I had to do for me and all my worries of what are my parents going to say? What are my friends going to say? You know, you always worry about people's judgment. You know, it's going to be too dangerous or whatever. And actually, when I booked my tickets, I didn't tell anybody. I just booked the flights and it was going to be like, you know, two, three weeks before I would leave. And that's when I would start telling people. So it was a situation where like, you can't talk me out of it. I've, I've already dropped the $700 for the plane tickets and, and started to, to plan it. So, you know, that was something I needed to do for me. And that's really the only thing you need to get across from people is in the end, you're the person who you have to look in the mirror at day in and day out. So you got to be happy with the choices you made. You got to be proud of yourself for the choices you've made. And damn it, you got to pat yourself on the back for the for the chances you've taken or the risks that you've taken, because it was something that you needed to do for you. Yeah, that's incredible. Jumping off and building the airplane on the way down is not the conventional way to do things. That's pretty incredible. Have you done lots of those types of, whether it's trips or other things where you 
didn't necessarily have the full plan and just said, okay, I'm going to go and trusting the net will be there as you, as you get to the bottom. Yeah. Most of the trips I take are like that, whether it be going over to speak at a conference in, well, I guess I spoke at a conference in, in Norway a few summers ago, and then I had another one down in Mannheim, Germany. I wanted to cross off a couple more countries. I hadn't been to Portugal. I hadn't been to Spain. And I figured if I'm in Spain, if I can sneak down into Morocco, then I can say I've been to Africa. And then I can say I've been to six of the seven continents. I just kind of winged it. I don't know. I have this aversion to over planning things. Again, for that whole, you get so hyper-focused on the plan that you forget to do other things or you choose not to do other things. You know, if I go to, I loved it, but let's say I go to Lisbon, Portugal, and not really a big fan, but, you know, I've decided in my mind that I have to be locked into a week in Lisbon. So I stick around in Lisbon. If I don't like it, I'll just keep on going uh, and go to the next spot. If there's somewhere that I never thought in a million years that I would absolutely love, but it's an amazing, amazing place, well, then I'll just hang out there for a couple more days. And just the adventure that you go on without planning. It just, it's a lot of fun. Like I, most times I don't know where I'm going to stay when I get into a city. You just wander around and find a neat place and you meet some great people along the way. And yeah. It all sounds like for anyone who's listening and going, well, yeah, this sounds, this sounds great. I, I wish I had that confidence or I wish I could, you know, push past the anxiety that I'm feeling around this. It's not like, you don't feel those things, right? Those are still things that go through your your mind or if you manage to train general anxiety about walking into a completely unknown situation, like out of your mind. You have anxiety for sure. But I think it's anxiety enough to keep it exciting, but not so much that it's crippling. So yeah, I just, that's the other thing too is yeah, it might go absolutely horribly wrong. And your experience of Lisbon, Portugal could absolutely, well, <laughs> you were gears one for it. We'd, my couple of buddies of mine and I went to Budva in Montenegro and, you know, it ended up being kind of a dodgy Airbnb that we stayed at and the Airbnb owner wasn't the same person that was in the picture. And we we're like, we just need to get the hell out of Budva. So we, on the bus from Dubrovnik to Budva, we passed through KOTOR which I thought was gorgeous. And it reminded me a lot of the shoe swap, which is not far from where I'm at here in Kelowna, British Columbia. And I said, why don't we just go back there? And we went back there and it was, we enjoyed that. And then because we stayed in Airbnb, this whatever tourist tax that you have to pay, it's a like a dollar a day. That's automatically attached to when you check into your hotel or your hostel. Well, you had to take care of that in each city that you stayed in on your own. And we didn't realize that till after we got back to Kotor. We, so we found out that we were supposed to go back to Budva and pay for this dollar tax a piece. And I was like, well, we're not going back to Budva. I do not want to go back to Budva. So we were looking up, you know, what are the potential ramifications of what could happen if we don't pay this tax? Like, what's, is there going to be a fine? Are we going to be you know, never allowed out of Montenegro? And there was somewhat of a fine. And I was like, here, this is what we're going to do when we go. We were taking the bus back to Dubrovnik. When we get off the bus, there's, so there's two Australian friends. They're married now. I said, you guys give me all your passports and all the paperwork. And I said, I guarantee you the fact that there's a guy with arms and legs carrying all this paperwork is going to be enough of a distraction that they won't even look at the paperwork and make sure that we have all the stamps and everything. And it worked. worked perfectly. They didn't even look at it. So we, yeah, well, we went back to... <laughs> Croatia and so yeah I owe the Montenegro government well me and my friends owe the Montenegro government I think six dollars in total or six euro oh wow that's pretty much like 90 percent of uh, the people that listen to this are from Montenegro I say <laughs> <laughs> I just outed myself <laughs> yeah especially with interest rates I think that's probably a, a significantly amount more hey yeah that's gonna be a solid 15 euro now and anybody who's ever done a backpacking trip of any kind can relate to the importance of six euro. Yeah, it goes a long way. <laughs> it goes a long way. Wow. Yeah. Do you take this, you know, I just have a question about the, again, going back to this net 
is going to be there kind of thing. I know what, obviously what your sort of mantra or your, your message is, but do you just take that approach with everything you do now? As much as I can, obviously there's amazing. certain things where you can't be quite as bold and you have to follow the rules a little bit more, but, and then there's also certain things you're like, okay, maybe I need to play it a little more safe, but generally speaking in the mindset of, of just, just go for it. Enjoy the life. We only get this ride once. So you might as well make the most of it. I definitely do. But there's always times you question what you're doing. There's always times that you, you know, maybe talk yourself out of being as as ballsy as you are in, in other situations. So you're maybe a little more timid at different aspects of life. But I try my best to be more afraid of regret than failure. What a powerful strength. I mean, if someone was looking at adopting that way of thinking or beginning on that journey what sort of piece of advice could you give to someone who previously has always taught themselves out of following what their heart or what their spiritualization or whatever it might be or what their gut instinct is telling them well i guess the biggest thing is what i kind of just mentioned at the end of the last question or answering the last question is to be more afraid of regret than failure you know, I don't want to look back on life saying, oh, I should have done this or, oh, I wish I would have tried that. You know, I want to look back on life saying, you know, I went out there, did as many things as I possibly could. Maybe not everything went the way that I'd hoped, but at least to put myself out there, at least I tried for the times that it didn't go my way or the times that I did fail or make mistakes. I learned from those mistakes and I'm stronger, better and wiser because of it. And I've, I've done a few different presentations at like seniors lodges and old folks homes. And I put the question to them. I said, in your lifetime now, you know, having lived you know, 70, 80, 90 years, do you look back on life and wish you would have taken more chances? Or do you look back on life saying, geez, I'm, I'm really, really glad I played it safe. Nothing extraordinary ever really happened, but nothing bad ever happened either. So I'm, I'm glad I played it safe. And, you know, general consensus is, yeah, you look back and, there's all those things that you wish you would have done, those plunges you wish you would have taken, you know, those things that you talked yourself out of based out of fear. Why did I let myself do that? Well, when you have somebody who you can impart your wisdom on who's who's younger and just getting started and tell them, you know what, just, just take those plunges, take those risks. As long as you're not harming yourself or anybody else, it's fair game. Yeah, right. So talk to me about marathon running so <laughs> a bit of research that i did i mean i've never run a marathon jim have you run a marathon definitely not <laughs> no <laughs> yeah it sounds it sounds i mean it absolutely sounds to torture to me it sounds like torture but after a bit of looking around you've done well last i saw was six but that might have changed is it six marathons you've run now well i've never run a marathon either technically i've completed I think 11 or 12 now on my board. The next one I'm going to be doing is a Dublin Marathon in, I think it's October. Yeah, end of October. It was all something that happened kind of accidentally. I don't know how you accidentally do a marathon, but I guess I <laughs> sort of did. No, my, my girlfriend at the time, we had a couple of, well, a bunch of friends who were doing this, the LA Marathon. And it was taking place on Valentine's Day. So these couples, you know, one one person of the couple would do half. The other person of the couple would do the other half. And, you know, together you completed a marathon. And it was to raise money for you know, clean water initiatives in, in Africa. And we thought, you know what? Why not? What the hell? Let's do it. I messaged the marathon organizers ahead of time to let them know I'd be there on my longboard just so it didn't catch them off guard, which I didn't think it'd be an issue because they have hand cycle division and, and wheelchair division. And uh, it was uh, outright, no, we don't allow, we don't allow skateboards. I said, well, I said, can we at least talk about this? Cause I, I feel like you think I'm just some punk kid who wants to do a marathon on a skateboard. And finally got to talk to the, the race director and he was like, yeah, no, if I let you use your longboard, then or he kept calling it skateboard. If I let you use your skateboard, then everybody who wants to take a selfie stick or a stuffed draft for emotional support, I'm going to have to let them too. I'm like, um, you're sort of comparing apples to oranges here. But fast forward, the Calgary Marathon race director did an interview 
you know, about the, the whole thing. And she said, you know, we take that kind of stuff on a case to case basis and, you know, seeing Chris and his abilities, I see no reason why he wouldn't be able to do it. So I contacted her afterwards and I said, look, I would like to kind of get a marathon out of the way. And I said, instead of doing a half marathon, I want to do a full one. And she was all on board and I did that marathon and I was kind of like, this is cool. And it's also been another great excuse to travel. Uh, a lot of the marathons that I've done, they've had me speak at the Marathon Expo or you know, whatever events they have leading up to it. So I've done marathons in Malaysia, United Arab Emirates, Iceland, and then the rest have been all in North America. And then, yeah, now I've got Dublin coming up in October. And I mean, it's a good mental challenge because, you know, it's 42.2 kilometers and you get to about, you know, mid 20s and I get like, what a stupid idea this was. Maybe I should have just done a half. I'd be done by now. And it's that mental grind of, I could just quit. And the only person I'm holding accountable for this is myself. And then you're like, no, no, I need to, I need to cross this finish line. And it's a great, it's a great feeling crossing the finish line, especially when you, there's a lot of people at the finish line, people cheering you're on. It's, it's a pretty cool adrenaline rush. And, and it is something, you know, it's mind over matter. The human body is capable of doing something like this. It's, it's the mental part of it that gets in the way. It's a matter of when you're doing that, it's 42.2 kilometers of just, it's, I mean, obviously it's physically grueling, but it's the mental part of it that's the most difficult challenge or obstacle to overcome, you know, when doing a marathon. Hmm. Do you get SAS Who Dares Wins, the TV show over in Canada? What is it called? I don't think it's so. It's called SAS Who Dares Wins. I can already no, see Chris so. is Googling it to, to see if he can get on. <laughs> 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 Next thing you know, he's going to be jumping off of cliffs. <laughs> but it's all it's based on the British SAS. And it's like a TV show over here where, you know, everyday people, obviously they have to be quite mentally and physically resilient, go onto this program and see if they can get through a, a selection weekend, an SAS selection weekend. And they were saying, they were talking during an interview about why they push people so hard in the military even when they're falling down, they tell them to get back up and keep going. And it was because the brain has like this threshold that actually says after a very small percent, it's like 20%, 30% of max capacity, it says enough's enough. Self-preservation needs to kick in. If you keep going at the same rate, I don't think I'm going to make it, says your brain. And so that's why these thoughts start to trigger that go, are you sure that you're strong enough to keep going? Do you think this is a good idea? And all by, then you start to feel fatigue, etc. But if you can push past that and you can go, get through that initial pain and you start to push past the pain barrier on your body, you can then get to a stage where actually your brain starts to feel a little less threatened. And I mean, does it ever get easier? 11 marathons in? Yeah, it does. I know the, after the first marathon for quite a few days, I was so sore, so stiff. And then, yeah, they, each subsequent marathon that I've done, I don't feel as stiff and sore afterwards to a point where I've been able to, I did one mar marathon in Washington, D.C., and a buddy of mine was doing some filming, and I, I woke up fairly early the next morning after doing the marathon, and I was like, hey, I'm just going to board down to the Whole Foods and grab a smoothie and a kombucha. I'm like, do you want anything? It's like, what in the hell are you, it's a mile and a half away and you're going to board down and you're asking me if I want you to grab me something, it should be the other way around. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's a great excuse to, to stay in shape too, having no arms and no legs, you know, for, for somebody like me, when I gain two, three, four or five pounds, it's voice that it's four, eight, 10, 12 pounds. So the need to, to stay in shape for somebody like myself is ever more important. And I just found the marathons are, are a great way to do it. And, and it's a good mental test to put yourself through. It keeps you sharp. And, and also too, I'm, I'm encouraging people to get out there and push themselves and challenge themselves. I don't want to be, just be talking a big talk. You know, I want to be out there leading by example and not just using a bunch of really neat words. So not to discredit marathons at all, because they're a major accomplishment. Are you going to stick to those for a while? Because that's become kind of part of your thing. Or is there this next insane accomplishment that you're working towards? 
No, I, I mean, I want to continue to do the marathons because, like I said, it's been a fun, fun challenge and a great excuse to stay in shape. But I'm also, I'm up for for any challenge. I'm up for for myself doing something that I might not think that I'd be able to do. But also, it's kind of neat. The narcissist in me, it's neat to do something that people don't expect a guy with the arms and legs to be doing, like wake surfing or bungee jumping. Or well, bungee jumping is pretty easy. You just tie a cable to yourself and jump off the side of a bridge but skydiving or which I, I haven't done that yet i'm just trying to think of of some other things zip lining all that kind of stuff i love pushing myself and challenging myself and you know there's that love well, this guy with arms and legs is willing to do a marathon maybe i can get off my ass and, and go do a marathon too or if he's willing to go do a solo trip or i don't i don't care whatever you name it something physical you know, maybe I can get up off the couch and challenge myself to do the same thing without actually guilting people into doing stuff like that. I'm, I think I am kind of guilting people into doing it. Well, I've already got some some amazing takeaways from you. I mean, the fear or regret thing is, I mean, that resonates for sure. Hoping and believing that there's a net when you're when you get there is also one. But bungee jumping is easy. I mean, I still don't think that it would be that easy for me to do. You know, that's, well, a, that's a tough one. The whole concept of the idea of if I can originally started as an idea for a travel show. My good buddy JR from Stavely. So you've traveled from Calgary mm-hmm. down to Pincher Creek quite a few times. You would have passed through Stavely. He traveled quite a bit. You know, I watched his travel post like a hawk. I was like, I'd love to travel in that same capacity. And then he was hitchhiking across Canada. I was going to Carleton University and he crashed in my place for a bit. And we got talking about travel and places we'd like to go. And after a couple of beers, like we should try and pitch this as a travel show. And so we did. And we actually filmed a pilot with a guy named Justin Baldoni in Los Angeles for this travel show idea. And one of the challenges was was bungee jumping at the bridge to know or off the bridge to nowhere just outside of Los Angeles. And so when we were filming that, you know, I'm standing on my one leg on the edge of the bridge with my back facing out looking at the camera and I say, you know, if I can do this, anybody can see you later. And I jumped back and I didn't hesitate for a second. I was nervous leading up to it, but I didn't hesitate for a second. I just, just left and it was amazing. And then when I got back up onto the bridge, like, would you, would you want to do it again? It's like, absolutely I would. So they said, this time what you jump forward so we can get some different angles of you coming off the bridge. And so I get up there and I'm, I'm like, yeah, no, this isn't going to be a problem at all. And then all of a sudden I look down and you know, all you see is rock. There's like a you know, tiny little stream way down there with like three inches of water in it. And it took me, you know, a couple, I was two or three for sure. Five, four, three, we, you know, five, four, three, two, one bungees to, to take that leap and get out of my own way. So yeah. And that's, that's something I'd already done and I loved it. And I wanted to do it again. And all of a sudden this mental block just, it was there. It's a, The mind, the brain is a funny, funny thing that way. Yeah, massively. See, the thought of doing a bungee jump terrifies me. And I've done, I think I've done two skydives in the last eight months. Love those. Could do those quite comfortably now. But the bungee jump, (laughs) often enough people don't want to jump out of a plane because it's further to fall. But actually something like that, just the thought of that terrifies me. I don't think I'll be able to get past that block. But then perhaps that's what it is. All in your head, right? What is all in your head? And I've I've had people I've talked to that have done both and and they said definitely skydiving over bungee jumping for sure. But yeah, I mean apparently skydiving is a just a really cool it's like you're floating. Yeah, so I I definitely wanna get a skydive crossed off my bucket list and and actually another neat story. So my buddy was hitchhiking across Canada. I hitchhiked across Canada uh, about four years ago now. And that one was just, I didn't plan on doing it. I just, I was in a funk and I said, I need to do something to get myself out of this funk. So I took off from Calgary and just started heading east. It took me 17 days to get to St. John's, Newfoundland, the most easterly point of Canada. So yeah, just all about adventure and not overthinking things and having fun. Can you tell us a little bit more about if I can? And I mean, you said it started out as a pilot for a show. What's it up to now? Where's it going? Yeah. So like I said, it started as a, as an idea for a travel show and then it's morphed into to these presentations and just the, 
you know, an idea. You know, if a guy with arms and legs can snowboard, surf, work on the farm, travel the world, or even just live a happy, independent life, if I can do all those things, anybody is capable of doing some pretty awesome and amazing things. And it has nothing to do with physical ability, has nothing to do with arms or legs. And it has everything to do with that six inches of space between the ears. You know, the brain, the mind is the strongest muscle we have in our bodies, but it's also the biggest obstacle we have in our lives. And people assume that the, my biggest struggles or my biggest challenges in my day to day would be the fact that I'm missing arms and legs. And it's not. It's when, when I let this mind of, or this brain of mine get in the way, when I overthink things, the things like questioning yourself, am I living my full purpose? Should I be doing more or mustering up the courage to ask that girl out to dinner or that kind of stuff? It has nothing to do with arms and legs. It's when Chris Cook gets in his own stupid way. That's Those are my biggest challenges, just like everybody else. So it leads me on to, obviously, what the Burn Chef Project is in hospitality to challenge mental health stigma and to try and open up conversations around about mental health. You talk a lot about your physical challenges, but has there been any times in your life when your mental health has got the better of you, whereby you've thought, I'm really finding this a challenge that I'm not able to not able to bounce back from as quickly as I'd have liked? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the whole impetus behind deciding to hitchhike across Canada, I'd, girlfriend had broke up with me, say two, three months before that, and I was a mess. I wasn't doing anything to get myself out of that funk. I just allowed myself to be miserable and pout, really. And finally, I was like, this is not me. I am not a, I'm a happy-go-lucky person. So I decided, I think on a Friday morning, that I was going to take off Sunday and see if I could do this. And decided if I only get four hours outside of Calgary in 17 days, then so be it. Now, wherever I get to is where I get to, and I'll fly home for my brother's wedding <laughs> Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, everybody was incredible. People were amazing. Everybody was so supportive. It took off on social media. So it was less traveling along the side of the highway, the Trans-Canada Highway, and more about, you know, getting back to the people's messages. And hey, when you get to Toronto, we'll give you a ride to Ottawa. You know, when you get to St. John's, Newfoundland, we'll, you got a place to stay and we'll take you out. But also to COVID, my career of traveling around and doing presentations came to a screeching halt on would have been you know March 10th or something like that. And agriculture has been a big part of my life. So it was before it thawed out and it was, you know, it wasn't warm enough to get back farming. And my whole career, like I said, just came to a screeching halt. Nobody was saying, Hey, we're just pressing pause here. Everybody was just cancel, cancel, cancel. I remember there was a 48 hour window where I lost probably $60,000 in revenue. And I, yeah, I thought I was screwed in a, in a moment like that when a you can't leave your house <laughs> and you know your whole revenue stream has just been taken away from you and the things that I do to maintain positive and healthy mental health is traveling and spending time with friends and family. You weren't allowed to do that. It got dark. It got really dark. And I was worried. And once, I'd say a month and a half later, once we got putting crops into the ground and life started to have a little bit of semblance of, of normalcy, then the panic started to exit and start, okay, well, there's there's light at the end of the tunnel. It was scary. I was pretty worried. And even in the back of my mind, still to this day, you know, COVID could rear its ugly head and close things down. I hope it doesn't. I really, really hope it doesn't, but it's, it's in the back of my mind and it, it worries me for sure. Thank you for sharing. It's yeah. It's, I think even those who'd never experienced any form of mental illness or, or that, you know, there are some lucky people in the world who don't necessarily feel those depths have might've experienced it over that period of time. So it's definitely good to hear of other people's experiences as well. And I'm sort of also looking at the things that you do to keep your mental hygiene strong and keep yourself resilient. And obviously, you found your mechanisms of connections with friends and, as you say, traveling a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or even, you know, just something as simple as getting on my board and even just going for a 
couple kilometers where my place is here in Kelowna. It's four blocks from the lake. So to, to board down by the water and, and rem, remind myself why I moved here, just sit by the water and just, you know, enjoy my kombucha or whatever. Just those little things like that. What I mean, the big one is is getting the body moving. Some days it's easy to, seems easier just to stay in bed and hope it just all goes away. <laughs> that usually doesn't work though. But when you, yeah. when you get out, get the body moving, get the oxygen flow to the brain, maybe it doesn't make everything go away, but at least you're starting to think through things in a bit of a clearer picture and you know, it doesn't seem quite as bleak. So yeah, getting, getting the body moving exercise. So that's the other reason, you know, training for marathons or keeping myself in, in marathon shape right now. It's not keeping myself in marathon shape. It's getting myself back into marathon shape, but that's why that's so important to me. And I think, you know, should be important to others is mental health, there's, there's a strong correlation between mental health and physical health. Well, it's one thing, isn't it, really? Mm-hmm. Getting people accustomed to that way of thinking that actually the, the, it is just one thing. And at some stage, this dystopian future that I have in my head is that actually when we say, oh, I'm feeling unwell today, it doesn't have to be segregated into these little boxes. It could be very much like, okay, and understand that a mental illness can have a profound impact on your physical health and also vice versa and, and having the tools, equipment and knowledge to be able to help with that, really. That's incredibly, I mean, for me personally, just listening to you talk about that. I mean, again, I, I mentioned before, there's just so many little takeaways for me here, but get out and get the body moving to hear you say that. I'm immediately sitting here thinking about what am I going to go and do today? Well, I hope that has everybody thinking a little bit about that. Absolutely. I mean, I haven't been I haven't been out of the apartment yet this morning, so it's got me thinking. All right, well, I got I got to fly later this afternoon, so could I squeeze in a couple k before? <laughs> so yeah. Well, we're lucky. We're I mean, you and I. It's only seven a.m. for us right now, so you still got some time. We still have the day for sure. Yeah. I'm buggered. It's almost it's coming up to four o'clock, and there's definitely I have no exercise plan for today at all. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, give yourself a day off. That's allowed. Tomorrow, <laughs> though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow. No, generally. The dog for me was a big, big catalyst. And bless him, a couple of months ago, he's no longer with us. So it sort of like has this big void now of used to go for a good hour walk twice a day. Yeah. Yeah, and that's not there anymore. And so you think, ah. Oh. So I've taken up playing golf recently, which is like forced mindfulness, but it's fantastic. Four hours once a week, you just disappear off onto onto some green somewhere, and it's great. It's really good, really, really good. And for those uh, whoever hasn't tried it, golf, fishing, anything like that, is fa- bloody fantastic. Chris, I wanted to talk to you about sort of the diversity and inclusion aspect because obviously we've got someone that we know in co- common, Gillian, who was on a previous episode of ours, and it was her actually that mentioned you in the first place. I know that you work with her. One of the things that I talk about a lot within hospitality is being able to, at this moment, we're in a huge resource crisis. And I know Jim's incredibly passionate, as I am, about ensuring that we have diverse and rich cultures that encourage anyone from any background, any whether you have any physical or, or mental health challenge or whatever it might be, to, to come into hospitality and have a long, rewarding career. What do you see as some of the, the key things that either individuals could do in terms of getting out into the workplace? Well, let's start with individuals. I mean, if, if you are there thinking, well, actually, hospitality is not a career for me because I have, in your case, for example, no arms and no legs. So that would be usually something that you think, actually, hospitality is not a good career for me, obviously. What's the good first step to actually be able to go, do you know what? Yeah, let's give this a go. And how do you present that to a, a potential employer? Yeah, probably the first thing people think of when you're, especially a person with a, with a physical disability, is all right. You're gonna enter the hospitality industry. Well, that's either bussing tables or waiting on tables. Pretty tough to to carry a giant tray full of five plates to to a table when you don't have arms and legs. But that's not the only thing that happens in the in the hospitality industry i mean there's working at hotels there's other aspects of the restaurant where a person can with a disability can not just carve out their little spot and do a nice little job but absolutely thrive 
I worked for an airline in Calgary, WestJet. And you know, I was wearing my artificial legs at the time, but there's a lot of opportunities. So really looking at the full picture of what that job entails and the different areas of that specific industry and seeing a, you know, a bigger picture, but also to getting rid of the preconceived notions that people have uh, people with disabilities aren't going to be able to do well in the, in the hospitality industry. And if it's something that you believe in your heart of hearts that you can do and you can do well, then you get out there and prove yourself right. Don't, don't go out there to try and prove everybody wrong. Cause I think that's doing it for the wrong reason. Go out there and prove yourself right. Blow some people away. When I first did my interview for WestJet, I was told by one of the guys who was in the interview afterwards, he said, you absolutely blew us away in your interview. Just your, your mindset, your humor, your personality, the way you are with people. But he said, we, we had a really tough time trying to figure out where we could put you at the airport with WestJet, where we weren't worried that we'd be setting you, set you up for failure. We wanted to set you up for success. And I told them, I said, I would not apply for this job if I didn't think I'd be able to do it. You know, I'm not going to put myself into a situation where I could absolutely embarrass myself. So there's that, that element too, that, and then, I mean, the, the accountability has to be on you. You got to go there and you got to blow them away in your interview. And like I said, prove yourself right. Nice. Nice. Lovely key takeaways there as well. I think back yourself, right? If you think you 100%. can smash it. And what about him from an employer's perspective? Because, I mean, we struggle for we struggle massively from a mental health side of things. Because the second we've had reports of some individuals who have said, "Oh, I've got an underlying mental health issue that I'm perfectly okay with, and I'm coping with it brilliantly," and then for the employer to go, "Well, actually, you don't really want to be in this environment. It's quite high stressed," and you're like, "How?" How are you ever expected to get a well-rounded culture when that's that's you're you're making choices and stripping people of the their power to make decisions? Like, what can employers start to do that actually does diversify their workforce and create a much more inclusive culture, especially when it comes down to the physical or mental health issues? Well, I guess I can speak, you know, a great deal to the physical disability and physical health. Well, I can speak to mental health too, but I you know to address the whole physical aspect of it. One of the things, and I've done a lot of presentations for companies, you know, to, to sort of whether it be working with Jillian or some other stuff that I've done. And one thing I've told potential and prospective employers is when you're hiring somebody with a physical disability, they've had to navigate through this world, through life, looking things from completely different angles than people with 10 fingers and 10 toes who are able to you know, walk up that set of stairs or whatever. And, you know, when I'm doing stuff, you know, going from A to B, I'm looking one, two, three, four, five steps ahead of your average person because, you know, if I come up to a set of stairs, yes, I could probably do this. I can, why well, I can do the stairs, but it's going to take me a lot more energy and a lot more time. So I allow myself a little extra time. If it's raining when I do those stairs, I'm going to get soaking wet. So I need to find an alternate route instead of stairs. And so you have people who are, and also, you know, when I check into a hotel, if the towels are up too high, uh, I have to figure out how to get those towels down. So I'm using, stand up on the side of the bathtub, using my long board to knock the towels off the rack, or I've used ironing boards. Um, there's always an ironing board. In every hotel room in the closet, I've used an ironing board to knock the towels down off the rack so I can get to that. Basically everything, but call down to the front desk and say, hey, can you send somebody up? So you have somebody who is a very outside-the-box thinker, a very good critical thinker. And so those are the, the highlights. Those are the strengths that a person with a disability, you know, when doing an interview, needs to make sure the potential employers know. And for me to be able to advocate on behalf of people with disabilities, hey, you know what? When you when you hire when you hire somebody with a disability, you're hiring somebody that can really attack is a great problem solver. Can attack certain problems that your company has had to face 
from an angle that you guys, I guarantee you, wouldn't even thought of. Then it's all about, well, any interview, it's all about highlight, highlighting your strengths and blowing them away. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Jim, anything from your side of that? Well, I mean, I, I'm just thinking about all of the the situations that, you know, I've been in my experience in, in hospitality, you know, as an, as an employee or as a, you know, in a leadership position, thinking about how much we probably could have used your outside the box thinking <laughs> to help us get through scenarios. But, you know, one of the things maybe you can come, I'd like to hear your comments on just the concept of resiliency, because I, I find sometimes specifically related to the hospitality industry, quite often that word takes on a meaning that I personally believe maybe it shouldn't. And it's, you know, companies, and I, I can speak from experience on this, but companies sort of approach this concept of resiliency as though we're looking for resilient people. But what they actually mean is we're looking for people who will just almost shut up and do the work and not say anything. Right. And so <laughs> I can actually speak from in my career in management, there were times where I was actually guilty of that, where, you know, praising people for being resilient when that's not really what I meant or what the industry means. So, I mean, can we just hear a little bit about from you on, on the concept of resiliency and how you approach that? The angle that you just described is really not an angle that I've, that I've really looked at that from, but yeah, you're right. When, you know, when people are talking about somebody who's resilient or wanting somebody resilient, yeah, they just want somebody who will just head down, keep their mouth shut and do the work. And I mean, that's not resilience. That's just, I don't know what you call it, but you know, resilience, it's finding better ways to do it. It's finding new ways to do it. It's not just doing it the way the boss tells you to do it. Trying to find ways to to make the company better or the restaurant better or yourself better. Yeah, I guess what you're describing is probably more perseverance than resilience. The perseverance to just, I don't really like what I'm doing, but they're telling me to do it. So I'll just just keep doing it and hopefully I get a raise or hopefully I get a promotion and I can get myself to a position where I can finally say something and make some changes. And, you know, there's a lady with a school who's in Hawaii. I hope we can make this one happen. I really want to go to Hawaii and speak at some schools, but she was saying that she's low on the totem pole, just a music teacher. She said, um, not part of the committee that, you know, in the meetings that are bringing in new speakers, but she feels that my story would be great for the school that she's at. And I think that's helping develop resilience. She's putting herself into a situation where she's maybe not expected to grab the reins and take the bull by the horns and all those kinds of things and, and go in there and shake things up. So yeah, I guess resilience is, is putting yourself into situations, not just waiting for your marching orders from the boss. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. For sure. Nice. There's a connection for me there too, I think, with what you said around prove yourself right. Because resilience to me, I think, as I as I consider more in terms of wellness and hospitality is is often even more about bring forward the problem, bring forward the solution, include people in in the problem solving and like you said, the outside the box side of things so that we can we can move things forward and prove yourself right that there's an idea and a way of doing things that's different, maybe. So one, I, I guess also to the resilience in, in the hospitality industry is to, to be able to deal with customers and deal with them with grace instead of, you know, what you want to, <laughs> I had, I had, I had, I usually was really good when I was with WestJet, but there was one guy who was not cool. And basically I was, he was checking in for his hockey team and they were flying from Calgary to Vancouver. And I said, well, if you just hang tight two seconds, we'll get a couple of people at the far end of the check-in counters and we'll just check in the whole hockey team all together. So then you're not snaking through the line with everybody else. It goes way faster. He goes, well, that's not how they did thing is Vancouver. I said, well, that's how we do it here. So I said, if you just hang tight two minutes, it'll go way faster. And he walked up to me. So when I was on my artificial legs, I was only about four and a half feet tall. So they weren't full length legs and he walked right up to me and he stands right in front of me and looks past and says you know what i think i want to talk to somebody who knows what they're doing and i said you're an asshole aren't you he goes excuse me i said you heard me because i want to speak to your manager 
And I said, yeah, okay, I'll go get them. So I went back and Hainsey was his nickname. I said, Hainsey, I said, there's a guy who wants to speak to my manager. He goes, well, what's the problem? I said, well, he's an asshole and I informed him of it. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I mean, I apologized to him afterwards. And he says, you know what? And all of that, they got those two checking counters set off to the set up at the far end. He goes, it went way quicker. So yeah, he goes, I I apologize for doubting you. I said, well, thank you. I appreciate that. But yeah, it wasn't, wasn't my most graceful uh, customer service moment, but sometimes you got to speak up for yourself. <laughs> the customer's not always right. No. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy it, Pete. I, I wonder how many hospitality pros out there now are going, fucking hell. Yeah, I hear that. <laughs> I hear that every single day. You know what, Chris? Every single one that's listening is, is thinking <laughs> that. <laughs> you don't have to wonder how many. It's all of them. <laughs> I know, right? Right? But it's that ability. Like we, we've, I've been doing a bit of sort of searching for this. And there's that ability to be able to say, hold on a sec. Wait a moment. I'm a human being too. And guess what? You still eat shit, sleep, like everyone else. Yeah. What makes you think you're any better than me? Or deserve that sort of treatment from one human being to another? Being able to have that confidence to be able to do that, but in a way that doesn't end up getting you dragged into an office to <laughs> to have to explain your actions is yeah delicate balancing act. Hey, no, for sure. And I guess the thing that bothered me about it is I was just trying to help him out and make it as easy as possible. But anyways, yes, <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, we've all been. I think we've all been there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially since COVID, a sense of entitlement. As I used to think, it was sense of entitlement. I'm going to correct myself. I think the shared lived experience of something that's that's much greater and takes much more control than we ever thought possible has realigned some people's focusing on what's important to them in that moment, at uh, that particular time. And so what I used to think was entitlement and just human beings being absolute arseholes has actually sort of morphed into... People are just looking out for themselves more than anything else. It's, there's, there's definitely a big, been a big switch in the last last couple of years that we've seen about that. So hearing that story, I think will resonate with them, and and certainly I perhaps help guide those who do want to just bite the hand off uh, customer. <laughs> <laughs> we have been chatting for a good hour or so now, and I still have loads more, but I appreciate you have to catch a flight. You've got to go on a sixteen mile. <laughs> board then you're going to go windsurfing before you jump on the flight so you've probably got loads of stuff planned for the day and, and i respect your time very much so i mean i've only got one or two well i've only got one question left which i asked all of our guests but jim is there anything from you at all sir well i mean i'm i've learned so much in our conversation for me today and i'm looking forward to following the following the journey a little bit more closely but I think that there's just been some really good takeaways for people, hospitality or not. Just thanks so much for, for sharing some of your experience with the listeners, Chris. I appreciate it. No, absolutely. Absolutely. My pleasure. It was a fun, it was a fun chat. So when you get to go on a podcast where everybody's pretty relaxed and good sense of humor, these things could be a lot of fun. So yeah, this was one of those. And a couple Alberta boys that both live in British Columbia now will have to connect when I'm in Kelowna. Absolutely, 100%. More in Vancouver. We'll have to exchange information. So there's a couple of restaurants that I go to that I feel like you probably have connections to. <laughs> it's possible, yeah. This is an incredibly incestuous industry, isn't it, Jim? Mm. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> For sure. So to wrap this up then, Chris, and allow you to, to get on with your day, especially as it is only early morning the only question that i have is that if you were to give any piece of advice to a younger version of yourself what would you say to yourself now knowing all the stuff that you now know the biggest thing was to not hold off so long to do the things that i wanted to do to do the things that i knew i was going to be happy doing and would be successful at and you know because i i was doing the things that I thought everybody else thought I should be doing. And, you know, it was, and it wasn't like I was absolutely miserable. I'm just more, more happy doing this or happier doing this. I mean, part of me is kind of like, you know what? 
everything else that I did leading up to this was great because it walled that up and created the perception, not the perception, but the perspective that I have with everything now. So I needed to make those mistakes to, you know, develop the resilience and be where I'm at now. So for that reason, I don't regret it, but I could have been traveling sooner and I could have been doing these presentations sooner, but I'm here now and I'm, I'm having a great time doing it. So better late than never, I guess. Love it. Well, what's the saying? Don't put off tomorrow something that you can do today, right? Yeah, that sounds about right. There's been a couple of those really great sayings that I've tried to spit out during a presentation and <laughs> absolutely butchered it. So, yeah, you did good. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Cheers. It's uh, yeah, it's it's a lot a lot easier when you're sat in front of two people, one of which you can't see because his camera's not working, mm-hmm. <laughs> than it is to do in front of five hundred when everyone is waiting on your final takeaway and you're like, "Don't do things today. Do them. No, wait." <laughs> and everyone just goes, "Wow, okay." Um, thanks for that little takeaway there. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when when it's the last point. It's like ah. Oh. You almost had it. (laughs) (laughs) Almost next time. Next time. Chris, thank you ever so much. Jim as well. You know, welcome to the Burn Chef Journal. It's going to be absolutely great to have you on board. And thank you, guys. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.